Ask the, ask the children in the Ukraine or Gaza or Israel if hell isn't on earth. Ask the children today that are the growing number of children globally that are hungry. And ask the children, ask their parents if life isn't hell. Hell, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. everybody to another episode of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser and I'm here with my friends Jim Durkin. Jim? Where's Jim? Hey. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Jim ditched us. He's on vacation. Oh, he went to hell. <laughs> yes, exactly. He, he went to hell or he's he's boycotting this subject. No. Right. He, he's down uh, he's down cruising Mexico, so he's he's having a good old time. And for I, you people I, I, that are thinking about robbing his house, this is uh, predated, so he'll be home. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, it won't do you any good to break into his house. He's going to be there. And he was a Marine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and and my other guest here, our usual host, is uh, Lucifer. <laughs> yes. Good to be here today. <laughs> to this conversation about my home. <laughs> yes, uh, Michael's name for the week. So we we thought we would just dive in and go for the gusto on this one. Uh, this is a topic we have skirted around. Uh, we have dropped seeds about it here and there, and uh, but we've just never gone for it head on on this podcast. So we figured it's time to talk about hell. So this this should be an interesting and fun conversation. And uh, so let's just let's just start here, Michael. Um, do we want to start with the uh, the history of it, or do we want to just start with our thoughts of it? What do you think? Well, I mean, there's many 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 places you can start when you want to talk about hell, just for the hell of it. But um, exactly. Yeah, so so you know many 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 questions you you could ask about the history of the doctrine, how it developed, where it came into existence, uh, how it changed within Judaism, how it changed within Christianity, even its function in Islam. Um, uh, you can ask all kinds of existential questions about hell. Is it a metaphorical place, a real place? Is um, is it um, a um, an essential part of Christian eschatology? Is it a non-essential part? Is there such a place? I mean, many, many, many ways into this. Um, perhaps the the question that has to really be asked, big, big time, uh, if you're an evangelical, uh, your reason for existing is because Jesus saved you from hell. Right. That's that. you, you, you got your one-way ticket into heaven. You're saved from hell. And the presupposition behind that is you're going to hell. So the world, at least according to the evangelical, is going to hell. And uh, if, unless you're, of course, born again or saved, in which case you're saved from hell. So if, you're, if, if we're all somehow 
doomed to hell unless we get saved. Um, you, you have to wonder about what kind of God you're dealing with here. You know, what kind of God is this that creates, like, it's kind of like Sharon Baker said in the, in the movie Hellbound. God creates a universe and, and then send, decides to send everybody to hell. You know, I, I think about this, the, the logic of that. It's absurd. Yeah. I'm going to make this beautiful creation. It's going to be extraordinary. Everything from muons and gluons to DNA to interstellar galactic things. And then I'm going to damn everybody to hell. <laughs> Can I can can I play devil's advocate, <laughs> highlighting <laughs> devil? <laughs> um, so so the evangelical would answer that question, saying that well, God doesn't send us to hell; we send ourselves to hell by rejecting the escape that He's prepared for us. Sure. Okay. So I'm 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 feeling like this whole show. It's just going to be kind of a reprise of the the Hellbound movie by by Kevin Miller. Um, that's Hellbound with a question mark, and it is still available on uh, Amazon, uh, and you can rent it for just a couple bucks. It might even be on YouTube. Phenomenal resource for teaching. Uh, it about is. Um, but you know all the all the kind of really important questions were asked, and you just asked another one from that film. So here's the thing. Is, is when it comes to hell, if your theology is such that your God uh, can be a torturer, that your God can be a murderer, that your God can somehow in this God's holiness and zeal for righteousness and truth, if this God, can sit and crispy fry you for friggin' ever? Um, you have to wonder if that's really who Jesus was talking about when he talked about Father. Right. Yeah. It seems to me the evangelical God is no more than an idol, uh, just like all the other gods, the Janus face gods, the two face gods we've talked about, you know, and um, and their God, their God is is really uh, a you know I, know, I don't want to. Uh, use mental diagnoses uh, in a pejorative manner, but uh, the evangelical God is a very two-faced God, a very mm, uncertain God, uh, a, a, a God that's, uh, I would use the term like bipolar or something, but I don't, again, I don't want to be pejorative about, about, um, uh, about, uh, disorders that, that people experience. So I just can't, I can't for the life of me, other than fear, other than fear, what keeps the evangelical trapped in believing in a God that creates a hell that sits and tortures people forever. Right. So in light of that, because a lot of people listening, um, if they come from an evangelical background, like I did, um, they're going to be thinking, well, you guys are just making up a doctrine or something the way that the way that you want things to be. So, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to make a statement here and then let's dive into Then I'm going to toss it over to you to let's, let's explore the development of the doctrine of this so that people see this, the history of this, that this isn't just like a bunch of 
leftists, you know, coming up with their view of how they wish the universe functioned, which is how that's usually presented. Um, just how far off that statement actually is from from reality. So, <laughs> so first, let, let's start with this: is that um, I've heard and and been taught that the that there were actually in the early church there were actually three dominant views of the afterlife uh, regarding hell. Um, it was a uh, ultimate reconciliation, um, annihilation, and uh, eternal conscious torment. And that all three of those views were considered orthodox. There, there wasn't one that was, this is what you have to believe. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, so I want to be careful. It, it's not that any of the three, it's not that all three were orthodox. It's that it's the, the emerging orthodox orthodoxy, the emerging church as it's battling its the heretics in the second and third century, and it's moving toward that Constantinian period, is that all these views are just they're in the air out there. Okay. Okay. You have Greek views of the afterlife, you have Second Temple Jewish views of the afterlife, you have um uh, very uh, interesting approaches to the cyclical view of history, the eternal return, that Ouroboros concept, but now linearized out into a salvation historical model in the second century church fathers um, that becomes the framework for what we would call, you know, Irenaeus's apocatastasis, the universal reconciliation of all things. So they're all part and parcel. Of, of this emerging Christianity. There's no um, set eschatology in the early church, which is one of the reasons the book of Revelation did not make it into the canon uh, at all until li literally the 5th century. It was when the church finally kind of <laughs> put it in there. Well, we're going to put it at the end, you know, kind of like right. our thing. is People won't read it. We'll put it at the end. Little did they realize by putting it at the end, everybody reads the end first, so now they know the end, and they read it, everything backward from that, and they really screw it up, you know. But, um, That's true. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting. I want to highlight, you, you said that these views were going on up until Constantine. They were evolving yeah, right. and, and being wrestled after, with. And after, and after. So it was that long ago. We're, we're not talking again. We're highlighting the thing of it not being some recent new thing, that these these ideas and beliefs and perspectives were all the oh, yeah. way, all the way back. Oh yeah. They, they all, they get they're, they're all in the new Testament. I mean, let's face it. Um, I mean, and I thought Kevin Miller did a brilliant job of this in hellbound. Uh, Matthew's gospel has texts that uh, read like second temple, Jewish eschatology, eternal conscious torment, Matthew's gospel. Yeah. John's gospel really the texts appear to be annihilationist. You know? Interesting. Paul, the, at least the, the post-Thessalonian letters, uh, the, the 10 letters, Paul appears to have moved into a, a more universalist direction, although I don't think that any biblical writer, and I don't even think the historical Jesus, would suggest... Um, uh, Every quote person person is uh, redeemed, so to speak, or quote goes to heaven, so to speak, because uh, there is this thing called the judgment that's in there. 
But yeah. Yeah, let me let me really throw a um, a monkey wrench into the hell discussion, if I may, a cog, if I can be a saboteur, you know, throw my sabot into the machine. <laughs> um, the concept of of hell having judgment, right? How how we are to be judged. Uh, that judgment scene has many different metaphors applied to it in Second Temple Judaism. Uh, and one of those is the uh, judgment the, of the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation. Another is the Apostle Paul's use of it in 1 Corinthians, this judgment seat this of, of Jesus in a kind of a civil uh, courtroom setting. Um, it almost always we tend to think of the judgment seat in terms of individuals, persons, persons like Lauren Rosser or Michael Harden uh, or the absent Jim Durkin. <laughs> right. Who will surely face judgment before us. Yes, exactly. How dare he go on a cruise? <laughs> he's, he's probably going to listen to this podcast sipping a margarita. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Anyway, um what if what if it's not individuals that are judged in the judgment? And so now here I come to the parable of the sheep and the goats, which we classically understand as the saved and the unsaved. But right at the beginning of the text, the text is about the separation of the ethne, the nations, hmm. the people people groups, right? Yeah. How do these people groups respond? And some people groups responded to the poor and the outcast and those in prison, and they met their needs, fed them, gave them water, clothed them, gave them shelter, etc. Some people groups responded to those in need with, uh, with other uh, uh, ways of <laughs> not doing anything. And I'm, I'm, I have to ask, is it people groups that are judged? Is it nation states that are judged? Is it relationships that are judged? In other words, yeah. what if we are not individuals? What if Gerard is correct? What if we are interdividual? And so it's not us who gets saved. It's our relationship that gets saved. Right. So the Mike wow. Warren relationship can be an alienated relationship, but in Christ it can be a reconciled relationship. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and so Michael doesn't exist apart from Lauren. Sorry about the dog in the background. It'll, no, that's all it'll right. What if it's not? individuals but relationships that are judged what if, what if instead of saying well is hitler going to go to hell we stop and we ask let's ask about someone like an adolf hitler or 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 um some other epitome of evil we have let's ask about all their relationships right now here's the question when you look at a at what we would consider a person that deserves to burn in hell. You know, I mean, and you get this all the time on the news. Somebody shoots somebody and somebody comes out, they deserve to burn in hell. The whole thing. Okay. Now, suppose we take this evil person and this evil person now doesn't simply have a quote human lifetime in which to think about all these broken relationships, but now they have a quote eternity. And who's to say that that eternity is wasted on punishment? Who's to say that eternity can't be morphed into a future 
where eschatological hope means that there is reconciliation and it may take a long time. Think about all the people someone like a Mr. Hitler has had a bad relationship with. But then look at your own life. Just take your own life. Look at your own life. Have you had bad relationships with people? Sure. Some of you, it's parents. Some of you, it's siblings. Some of you, it's both. Some of you, it's extended family. Some it's nuclear family. Some it's uh, classmates or college mates. Some it's people at work. Some it's people in your own life, your spouse, your own kids, whatever. We have these bad relationships. We all do, right? Yeah. Some, we've really caused a lot of pain. We have. Yeah. We take responsibility for that. Well, why not? Why not um, ask about how these relationships can be healed rather than punished? Why would you want to punish a relationship for failing? Why wouldn't you want to do everything you can to see it restored? That seems to me to be what the gospel's about. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are seeking every way to restore, to heal, to nurture, to grow, to love, to bloom, you know, uh, whereas the evangelical one wants to shove everything into one of two little very neat boxes, turn or burn. Right. Yeah. yeah. That that's that's a that's a really good observation because it it flows right in line with like you said it flows in line with the gospel where it's all about healing relationships and and literally saving the world through how we interact with one another. Um, mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's interesting what you were sharing about nations. The, the, I, I'd heard that before, but the first time I really saw that was in uh, uh, Brian Zahn's uh, book, Farewell to Mars, mm-hmm. uh, where he pointed that out about um, nations being judged according to how they treat the prisoner and how they treat the, the outcast and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's a really, really interesting, interesting thought. Um and it's interesting too to me that, and you would you really know about this because you've done a lot of work on the Nicene Creed, is that in the early Nicene Creed you you don't see a, a requirement or anything about having to believe in hell to be um, to be a to to be a Christian to be a believer. Right. No the um, the the Nicene Creed's eschatology is limited to the resurrection of the body. And a final judgment that there will be a, a, a judgment. Um, how that judgment gets played out is what's really intriguing, and what is perhaps most intriguing about uh, judgment um, when it comes to Jesus is that Jesus really reframes judgment. If you think in terms of the of the Jewish views of judgment in his day, most of them, most of them are oriented to the metaphor of a scale that measures one side has weight on it, another side has weight on it, right? So on one side is your sin, and on the other side is God's goodness and grace and mercy and this and that. And the rabbis had lots of discussions, and they they found really clever ways around what happens if the sin side of the scale is is greater than the the, the good side of the scale, and 
they talked about how God would add benefits so that, so that to make it even so you could get in. They talked about the mercy of God lightening the scale. They, they had all kinds of ways that they, they really were looking to show the goodness and grace of God in the judgment process, right? And yeah. that's a very beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. And so that's that's part of the rabbinic ethos. Now, whether that that's just in the later rabbis, because this this is in you know things like the Midrashim and the the Talmud and the Tosefta and the Mishnah and stuff. Whether that's part of the ethos of Jesus' day, I'm not sure. I have to suspect some of it is. Yeah. But it's yeah. interesting in Jesus when it comes to judgment, uh, he uh, no longer uh, has God as the judge. In judgment. Oh, interesting. Okay. God is not the judge on the day of judgment. So who is the judge? Well, each of us, and this is Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, each of us becomes our own judge. I judge me. On the day that I'm standing there and it's judgment day, I'm the one that looks back on my life and I judge. And the, the measure that I judge with is the same measure that I used on earth. So if I only loved with a thimble full on earth, I'm holding that little thimble full that says love on it. And I'm going, this is all I can expect from God. But if, if on earth I, I only dosed out forgiveness, you know, and little measures to people when it made me feel okay, uh, that's all I'm going to receive. I'm going to get this. Oh, here's your little thimble of forgiveness, Michael. This is this is what you used on earth. So this is what you get. Whereas if you if you're bountiful and generous with your love, your your kindness, your you, you know you you're 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 seeking to to actively care for people, not in, not in codependent ways. And I'm going to talk about codependence. Um, I'm which the evangelical look the evangelical has an addict for a God and the evangelicals worship is codependent worship. You know, they do, they have that. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about acts of, of real kindness to people you don't know that can't do anything to, for reciprocity's sake for you. Yeah. It's just a gift, just gift, just grace. Now, if that's the case, if I'm my own judge at the end and you're your own judge at the end, that means I am now, during my lifetime, working on making sure that when I stand before myself at the end, I can say, Michael Harden, you had a tough one. It was a tough road to hoe. Good on you. You know, you, you, you did okay. Um, you shared faithfully the gospel. You know, you, you broke a lot of dishes along the way. Um, <laughs> But you're, you, you know, you're bruised and bloodied, but, but, but you're here and you're, you're okay. And, and when, 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 when people look at you, hopefully they think about Jesus. Ah, that, that I can live with that. You know, I can live yeah. with a good and faithful servant. To, to me, huh, that's bliss, you know? Yeah. Well, I, just hearing you explain that, I could see again why people call you the dude of theology. Because my response is, "Dude, wow!" <laughs> I mean, as soon as you start explaining it, one about we're our own judge. One, it makes absolute sense. 
and totally lines up with what Jesus taught. And two, I want to turn the podcast off and go away. Because <laughs> I, I have a, a track record of many times not being a very good judge, of, you know, being, being a very harsh person and stuff. Thank God he's been transforming me into a, a much kinder, gentler person. But, but even today, you know, I'll catch in my own thoughts, just judging people, you know, walking down the street because that guy looks like an asshole, you know, <laughs> just because just of, just because of his expression, you know, and it's like, he probably just has a flat tire and is trying to get to the auto shop, you know, but, but, but just that kind of stuff where, it, but it, but it's, it's really cool too. Cause a couple of things come to mind. I remember a friend of mine, Michael Rose sharing how it's more, he, he thinks he was saying it's more about, um, direction than destination. And he shared the story of a, a, of a man he knows who, who was an alcoholic. And Mm -hmm. he says the man was drunk seven days a week and he goes, but then through encountering love, he was only drunk five or six days a week. And he goes for him, that is as big as like one of us, like becoming mother Teresa or something, you know, it it was like for him, it was, it was massive. And so that thing of, of, uh, of us judging ourselves, you know, being our own judge, it's like Jesus would say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you, you, this was enormous for you. This was climbing Everest for you and you did it. So I, I love that. And, and then also just though it really, really, um, changes the mentality of, of just being, I, you know, I need to be a graceful, loving, forgiving person as being a a duty or a, you know, like you said, kind of like an obligation Mm -hmm. to it being something that it's like, this impacts me. This, this, um, this is something that, that directly impacts my life and, and my future Mm -hmm. is, um, becoming a graceful person. It's for my benefit to be a graceful, loving person. It's not just like this duty I have to do. It's, it's actually a benefit for me. If, if we insist on a help, if we insist it as a, as a category in our theology, um, we, we in I'm, for example, one of the things I'm doing in my classroom is I'm going through every major doctrine in terms of a, a, the cross, a theology of the cross. And I would ask, how does hell fit in with a theology of the cross? Well, I would say, yes, there is a hell. A hell, it is hell, it is hell, absolute hell, when everybody abandons you and you're left yeah. alone. It's absolute hell when everybody's criticizing you and you feel like you're, you're just all alone. That's hell. Yeah. It's hell when everybody rejects you and mocks you and makes fun of you. That's hell. And that's getting sixth sixth grader on the playground. That's true. You know, ask, ask, you know, people that work in those kinds of jobs, you know? Yeah. Um, ask family systems. <laughs> right. It's very real. Hell is very real. Yeah. Ask the, ask the children in the Ukraine or Gaza or Israel if hell isn't on earth. Ask 
the children today that are the growing number of children globally that are hungry and as children ask their parents if life isn't hell this existence we're in this uh go to school get a job um uh, work your fingers to the bones, end up with nothing, and, and end up on Medicare and Social Security watching TV and eating Lay's potato chips. That's not life. Yeah. There's no life there. It's hell. It's, it's, we've been told it's a dream. We've been, it's like the Matrix. We've been told, oh, this is life, you know? Yeah. Get a, get a good education, get a better job, make some more money, get a better house, get a better car, get a swimming pool. Go on a luxury vacation. Go to Disney World. Just make it better, 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 better. We no man. We're, we're killing ourselves. We're killing our families. We're killing our world with this hell that they've given us. And and there's you know there's no way out for people. I think rather than look at some post death hell scenario, people just need to take stock in their own life and ask. Where am I still in hell in my own life? In my life, where am I in hell? Where am I, where am I still in, in a relationship that is broken, that dominates my thinking, for example? Yeah. You know, you know how people we can get when we're in a broken relationship and even if we separate and go our own ways, the other person's energy is still there in our heads and we're yeah. That's hell. That's a form of hell. You know, um, what kind of obsessive thoughts do we have? What kind of fears? Think about the fears that people have. They're just constantly afraid of things, you know, afraid of the future, afraid of failure, afraid of success, afraid of of, of what sh- the other shoe is going to drop there. Everybody, the, the fear factor is huge. Yeah. And you live in fear, you live in hell. Yeah. Okay. So if you eliminate fear, you can eliminate hell. Well, perfect love casts out fear. If you trust that you're perfectly loved, if you trust that your circumstances aren't a barometer of the Father's love for you, yeah. You just trust wherever you're at in life, whatever step you're taking in life, you're loved. And you, and you live in that. You live into that. You breathe it. You accept it. It's a beautiful thing. Well, then you can, you'll be loving to others no matter what's happening in life, no matter whether it's sunshine or rain. You'll, you, you will be heaven in people's hell. Yeah. For me is the gospel, not God's going to burn you forever if you don't accept Jesus into your heart. That's that's just, that's a fear-based, uh, sacrificial religion that is um, for uh, little children and um, people who, who just can't grow up. Yeah. It has nothing to do with being liberal. It has to do with growing up. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because um, in line with what you were saying, it's basically that in a sense, the gospel, it still saves us from hell, but it saves us from our hell that we're Mm -hmm. in now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but doesn't mean Jesus, the Superman flying down from the sky, you know, changes my whole circumstance, but it, it gives me hope. 
Um, it, it, it gives me love that casts out fear. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then like you're saying, um, but it also involves that now we're saving other people from hell, but not yeah. an eternal conscious torment. We're reaching over and stepping into their suffering and, and right. easing their pain and easing their suffering, right. which like you said, that's bringing heaven. That's right. You, you know, it's interesting because um, my wife, she grew up very poor. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I grew up very probably upper middle class. You know, Orange County right. lifestyle. She had the L.A. life. You know, the downside of the L.A. life. Right. Um, right. And uh, and it was interesting because for her, she couldn't grasp. You know, my family we we had family problems and you know that kind of stuff. And she would see famous people and people who have wealth and stuff, and and see them go into misery, and she couldn't mm-hmm. grasp that. Because right. it was like they have they have money they have um, comfort. How can they be so unhappy? How can they have these things? And, it was, and I had to go, honey. Let me tell you something. <laughs> it, it, and it goes right. It goes right along with what you were saying about the emptiness of life. That that it's kind of like when you get all that, you discover that just the emptiness that's there and you in the fractured relationships that you're in and, and so forth. And, uh, it, I was bringing that up because it's, it's interesting how we're seeing, you know, with, with social media and everything, people so immersed in that world of how suicide rates have gone up. A bullying has gone up. The, the anger in people has gone up. Students feeling are feeling more isolated and we call it social media. And yet people are feeling far more isolated than they wow. have. Yes. And it, it's interesting because that's, like you said, that's hell, is that isolation that we're, we're separate from people. So, okay, so let's do this. So, so we're talking about um, with hell and so helping evangelicals who are kind of stuck in the, in the place of, well, isn't that our whole purpose is saving people from, from the eternal conscious torment hell? I mean, we did just kind of touch on, well, no, you're saving them from the hell that they're in currently now. What could you expand on that? On, on uh, so, what's our mission? Yeah, the the, the mission uh, of the church is identical to the mission of Jesus, and that mission is to announce the character of God, to announce that that the Father is not like other gods, and that everything changes because our understanding and view of reality, capital R, or God, changes. That's the primary task of the church. It has um, utterly capitulated to sacrificial thinking now for at least 1,800 years, maybe more, I think more. Um, But uh, the gospel is really not prevalent or present in Christianity. And it, it never has been. You can go through the history of Christianity and you rarely find the gospel being preached. It's there. You, you have to look for it. You have to work for it. Yeah. Uh, most most what you get is not gospel. It's not good news. And there's nothing good about it. It's just another version of the sacrificial deity that's bloodthirsty and um, is violent and retributive and just like all the other gods. There's no good news in that. And this is what the evangelical doesn't understand, is that, is that the beauty of Judaism and the Hebrew scriptures is the breaking free from mythology and the hiding of the voice of the victim 
uh, and the beauty of Judaism is giving that victim a voice. Uh, but that they, they never move further. The Christians never move out of Judaism into the gospel because they fail to recognize that revelation culminates in the forgiving victim, the victim who loves, the victim who forgives, the victim who, you know, is intentional in healing. And, um, and so the evangelicals basically... Uh, nothing more than a, kind of a form of, of Second Temple Christian Jewish thinking. But, but there's there's no real, it's very rare to find gospel in the churches, you know. And you, listen, any preachers listening to this, all these preachers listening to this can be going, well, I preach the gospel. Well, I'm going to say, really? You think so? Yeah. Well, go look at your God. Find the shadow side of your God, because the moment your God has a shadow side, you're not preaching the gospel. Ooh, you know? That's that's good. That's that's a, a good a good way to to test to see if you're if you're preaching the gospel or not. Yeah, because the the Father of Light says no shadow side, no shadow of turning. God is lightning. God, there is no shadow side. There's no dark side. There's no darkness at all. There's no hidden God. Yeah. You know? And, and, and isn't that, and, and isn't that what the gospel is? Is that this is this is meet your meet your father? There's no dark side to him. That's right. He's not like you think. Yeah, and, and now now I know a lot of people they hear statements like that and then they think, oh, so God's just this big fluffy marshmallow that do whatever you feel like kind of kind of person. And and my thing is, if you have a loving father, was your father ever like that? Right. You know what? What loving right. father is just a go go play in the freeway, kid? I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, but yeah. but to put a dark side to that, that's yeah. where you go astray. Yeah, Absolutely. it doesn't it doesn't mean love's not going to correct or speak speak firmly, but it's right. not going to speak abusively. Correct. Yes, that's that's all that's all true. That's all true. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's interesting because I've I've many of my friends who've been pastors stuff and some of my friends who've, who've, who've gotten this revelation. One friend of mine, he was uh, pastoring a, a church in, in Dallas and he was talking about how they're getting ready to preach the gospel, go, go out to the neighborhood and stuff. And he was, he was sharing with them, you, you know, somebody brought some tracks, you know, the burning hell, you know, tracks. And he said, you know, I, I don't want to hand these out because I, I don't think this is the way we, we need to share the gospel. And, but they couldn't wrap their head around sharing a gospel that you don't need hell Right. to share the gospel. And and right. can you think historically of examples of, of groups or or where the gospel was preached, what that looked like? Well, can't think of groups. No, no. Um, I think you can, you can see, I think in, in the early Luther, in the early Luther, you can, you can see the gospel coming really just at least wanting to come out. It does. It does. In the okay. Early yeah. Um, Karl Barth's sermons are very, very gospel. Okay. Um, uh, I like a lot of the material that came out of a movement in the 14th, 15th centuries known as the Devotio Moderna in Holland, uh, the new devotion. 
and they, they, their biggest uh, uh, text they produced was the Imitation of Christ. Um, uh, we, we know it for, as, as for Thomas from the village of Kempen, but it was really written by the uh, founder of the movement, Geert Groot. And uh, Thomas would be one of the editors and it would be attributed to him, but it's beautiful work and it's gospel through and through. You can see in a lot of the mystics, um, I mean, Julian of Norwich and uh, Teresa of Avila, and um, there's a lot of gospel there. And where there's gospel, there's hope. Where there's gospel, there is peace. Where there's gospel, there is reconciliation. Where there is gospel, there is um, uh, healing. So I, that's what I'm looking for when I'm listening to mystics or preachers or theologians or anybody talk about gospel or theology. I'm asking, you know, is this that which heals, restores, reconciles, or is this just another form of fear-based religion? Right. It's just another form of fear-based religion. It's not gospel. It's not revelation. Revelation destroys religion. I mean, it, it, it comes into religion from the inside out and literally destroys it. The gospel is not a friend of religion, you know. Wow. Yeah, that's true. So many Christians who are religious reject it. They reject the gospel because it critiques their religious worldview. Right. Wow. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, because, you know, we, we've all heard the stories and any any person you talk to will talk about that religious person who's super nasty, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yet they're got the whole Bible memorized backwards, forwards and upside down and, and yet, you know, won't help their neighbor across the street, you know, or, or whatever it is. That's it's it's very true. Yeah, it's we, it's. Go ahead. One other thing, Lauren, and that's that most evangelicals are actually better people than their theology. What would have yes. to be. I'm so glad you said that because that was actually going through my head for the last like 15 minutes. And, and just thinking of people who I've disagreed with strongly theologically, but been amazed when we're together it the love that flows out of them. Um, I've had relationships healed just because of uh, getting together with somebody who we were, you know, we were going head to head because of theological differences. And then Mm -hmm. they came over and started helping me around the house and, and, really showing who they are. And it was kind of interesting. I had a, had another situation where met with some people and spent the first uh, 20 minutes of the conversation, just having to sit there quietly while they regurgitated all their politics and theology. And then and it's kind of like, once all that was out, I just kept quiet. I didn't say a word. Once they, once all that was out, then we had a great, great fellowship together, Nice, you know? And, and, and it's just, it's, it's just amazing how, Politics and religion in the sense of the the negative sense of religion that, that you were talking about, it becomes like this, this crap that's on the surface. <laughs> and sometimes it's, hell, it's, it's like, hell. it's hell. It, it is. It's hell. You're right. It's and it's hell. like, once you can get that out and, yeah. and get past that, then you yeah. see the beauty of who the person is. 
And, and yeah. so that just, it just so distorts us. It distorts yeah. who we are. And like you said, the, yeah, the re- hell being relationships. Yeah. Cause it, it, we get sucked into those debates and those discussions where if we can just be like, that's not something worth engaging. And, and that's something I've appreciated too uh, on this recent current events, which I'm not going to name or dive into uh, how you you've stayed away from that whole conversation. And, uh, and there were, a couple times I almost posted something on Facebook and I kept getting this glitch. I actually hit, hit post one time and went, no, I don't feel right about this and, mm-hmm. and, re- and removed it. But mm-hmm. it's because it's, it's like you said, it's, it's that hell. It's that. And, and we're not saying don't have, I'm not saying don't have views, don't have, you know, but the gospel is what we want to be offensive in that sense. The love for others, not some hang up on some goofy political thing. Or, or yes, or a social justice issue. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So social justice is not is neither social nor just. In my <laughs> right. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not social, and it's almost always personal, vindictive, and retributive. And it's not just. It doesn't bring justice. It it just brings reparations or a, another form of of punishment. Yeah, but yeah. it's not God. It's not, I mean, I love the Christians. It's God's justice as I'm sitting here going, bullshit. It's your <laughs> right. Justice. Your justice. God's yeah. justice gets measured in by forgiveness. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk Romans 11. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, isn't that, that's totally the truth, though, because if, if our whole, if the whole message is we're setting people free from hell now, somebody who's, vicious, cruel, or so forth to another person, they're in hell <laughs> now. And and so by coming and us pouring more hell on them, our own hell, breaking that relationship, how are we mending the relationship? We're just being retributive and existing in the same state they are. We just think we're better than they are. <laughs> we're, just, we're just adding more hell to their hell and our hell and Thus, validating my thesis that for most people, life is hell already. Yes, exactly. Worried about going to hell in, in another life. This one sucks. Right. You know, it's like deliver me now. You know. Yeah. And- Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's like you mentioned kids, you know, being bullied and stuff. And I thought, you know, it's funny how, you know, we'll pass that off as parents. Well, that's just part of growing up and stuff. And yet, how come when you're 50 years old, you still clearly remember, you know, that kid who was bullying you in school? If it's just some small thing from the past, it's like, dang. And yeah, that's where... Man, I, I like uh, this. Goes back to what I've shared before, but uh, a, a man I know he shared he he keeps an enemies list, but his enemies list is praying for them until they're not his enemy anymore. That's and uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And and it's man, I I sat down, started thinking because he would think about every single person he could think of who he has something against or who has hurt him in some way, and he would put that list together. And I started, I started thinking back and I'm going, the weird thing that happened when I started thinking about that was first, it starts with this person hurt me, this person hurt me, this, but then what changed was all of a sudden it was like, Ooh, I hurt that person. 
Mm-hmm. And it was that person I treated like crap. And then, mm-hmm. and then as I started looking at the person who hurt me, sometimes it was like, that was actually deserved. <laughs> you know, I created that enemy because yeah. of what I did or how I responded or I escalated a situation that, you know, maybe he said something that wasn't nice, but I responded in a way that escalated the situation. So, right. you know, like you said, I created my hell. I, I made it worse. So, yeah, this is a... It's interesting because this conversation didn't go any way the way I thought it would, um, but I love it because I didn't think about that. Well, when of- we, if we pick it up again, when Dirk is back, we can certainly talk many other aspects about hell. For example, we haven't even touched on the, what the descent into hell means. Yeah. If, if it's part of the creed or not, what it means. We haven't talked at all about the liberation of hell. We haven't talked about leading captivity captive. Right, yeah. We haven't discussed when it comes to that. But if there's one point that we've made today, is that a fear-based, fear-mongering religion and God is, A, not worth being part of, and B, it has nothing to do with the gospel. Yeah. The church, Christianity, churchianity, Christendom, whatever you want to call it, doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. The gospel's the gospel. Okay. Yeah. What people are teaching and preaching and they think it's the gospel. It's not, it's just their bad theology, but it's not the gospel. Yeah. You know, because well, yeah. fear, fear, fear will change you for a season, for a season. Yes. Love, love will change you and transform you permanently. Yes. And, and it's funny. Cause that was what I was going to hit on too, was the whole thing of fear um, that the fruit of fear, it's, it's, it's never good. Um, mm-hmm. I, every decision I have made based in fear I could probably think at least everyone I could think of has never amounted to anything good. It's it's always been stupid. It's been hasty. It's been something that was, that just led to hurt relationships or financial devastation or something. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, and then, and then yet we're trying to use that tool to bring people to God. And we, and and we're surprised that, (laughs) that the fruits we see aren't that good. Right. Right. Here's, you know, I mean, you know, God bless America. Here we are as a Christian nation. And there's not a, if there's, there's, first of all, there's everything Christian about this nation and nothing to do with Jesus. Right. <laughs> but this is a Christian nation. It's a religious Christian nation, but has nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing to do with Jesus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause oh. I mean, all you have to do is I, I was reading a, a people's history of the United States where yes. it, it, it Oh my gosh. I mean, you sit there going, we call this a Christian nation, you know, it's like, and and that's not even just me trying to torch the United States. It's just reality of how we've treated each other and stuff. So yeah. The U S was a great experiment. Wonderful experiment, you know? Um, And it went to hell, literally went to hell. Why? How did that happen? Well, you know, you start putting things like, Money, power, centralization, uh, together, you know, you're going to end up with a principality and a power. And that principality and power uh, no longer serves the public. It needs the public. It needs their blood. It needs their sacrifice. It becomes a scapegoating institution. Yeah. And that's what Christianity has become in America. It's a scapegoating institution. It's hell. It creates hell. Yeah. I mean, the only reason there's 
so much hell on earth is because the church and Christians have been perpetuating it. I mean, we're the ones that could be bringing heaven on earth. We're the ones that could be bringing love and peace and joy and the fruits of the spirit. All of us in every church, everywhere. But we don't. We fight. We grumble. We gossip. We antagonize. We brutalize. We polarize. You know? Yeah. We should be, we should be bringing gospel. So my, 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 my conclusion to all this is um, leave hell behind. You don't need it. Um, if you're going to have a hell, a place for hell, have it only for yourself as a possibility. And use that if you need to. You know, I do personally. Um, not, not that I think I would be tortured forever, but I certainly, I certainly use it as a, a, um, uh, a motivation to, to continue to um, pursue likeness to Jesus, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause, cause for me, it's like that thing of, um, I, I, I don't necessarily hold on to a, to a hell, but I hold mm -hmm. on to the thing of disappointing my father in the sense of, of knowing the time yeah. I have and, and, you know, just being, being in that place where I, I know that I didn't measure up to what's, what's in me. What, right. what is, you know, as we talked about our own being our own judge in the sense, you know, of, of, I know what I, what I'm capable of. I know what, cause he's given me much. I'm, I feel like I'm one of those people where um, it, it's hard for me sometimes because it's to whom much is given, much is required. Right. And I can be a total slacker, but I'm one of those, just, I mentioned my upbringing and stuff. I've been given much. And, uh, yeah. and, yeah. and so it's, it's, uh, I keep that in mind, you know, the, the sheep and the goat story and stuff is one that really hits me hard. You know, yeah, we, we, we have the dividing line between heaven and hell, not so much in our future as running through our very souls in the present. Yeah. And the good news is that the light conquers the darkness and, um, and we can only, we can only each day, uh, continue to uh, bring light and life into into other people's lives. Yeah, this has been good. Good talk. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And Michael, where can people find? Because you mentioned you you are featured in that. Uh, what's that Hell documentary no, again? Uh, the movie is Hellbound. It's with Hellbound with a question mark, and uh, it, it's uh, the cover has a, a toe tag, a, you know, a body on a gurney that's covered with a toe tag, and. The director was Kevin Miller. Kevin did a brilliant, brilliant job in that film. And uh, again, it's available to rent uh, on, um, on Prime, Amazon Prime. Might be available on YouTube, I don't know. Yeah. Um, well worth watching. Um, yes. I, I've, you know, I've watched it 20, 30 times because I've watched it with different groups or I introduced people to it. I think it's a good, really good resource. Um, my books are on uh, Amazon and my videos and stuff are all over YouTube. And, um, uh, we won't say anything about Durkin's book, you know, uh, because, um, he's not here. <laughs> we, we won't say anything about Durkin's book that's on Amazon. <laughs> bang of thirst beside the river. Yes. <laughs> but a real quick plug also, I want to uh, add further endorsement to that documentary on hell, um, on Hellbound. Um, the thing I really like about it because filmmaking is my thing, you know, mm -hmm. is, uh, is that, it treats the audience as being intelligent. 
Um, yes, it, it, does. it doesn't do the thing where some it, there's such a tendency when you hit something you're passionate about to to want to really highlight and hammer it and and and. But the movie will just let somebody make a super profound statement and just move on. Yeah. And, and so it lets the person who's listening, if they grasp it, they grasp it. If they didn't, whatever. But it lets the person who's listening either grab it or move on. And to me, that was very Christ-like. Yeah. You know, Jesus didn't sit there and go, do you hear what I said? Do you hear what I said? You know, it's like he he would say something and just keep going. And it's like, if it impacted you, it did. If, if you didn't have ears to hear, it went right on by. Yeah, there's also an app and a card game based on the movie that Peter Groot from Holland put together for, it, I mean, it's just conversation starter. Just, it's be good for so-called Bible study groups, you know. So yeah. And that app or that card game, Hellbound with a question mark, you know, and the toe tag. And, um that they can use that or the, or the movie or so many good books out there we we will next next conversation we'll we'll discuss literature we can do a literature Sounds good <laughs> all right well thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time